The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy. I was, get, I was getting excited. Uh, Jonah, Jonah 3, 1 through 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Amen. Have a seat. I, I just got to tell y'all, it is such a pleasure to be here. Um, it's to this heart just tremendously encouraging to see you guys showing up uh, to pursue the call of service and ministry of the word. Um, uh, we, you are the answer to prayers. Um, folks have been praying that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to go into his harvest field. And you should be encouraged that uh, God's at work. I know it can not seem like that all the time when you're trying to get the papers done or you're doing the hard ministry thing for not much money and other sorts of heartbreak. But just, you know, for me showing up, just you being here, and, and taking seriously uh, what's been entrusted to us uh, and, and, and eager to uh, use that for the Lord's glory. That's just tremendous encouragement to me. I, uh, I'm up in Asheville, and uh, I grew up in Raleigh. Anybody else here from North Carolina? My dad, of blessed memory. My father passed since I was here last. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, he was from North Carolina, but for many years, he edited the, uh, Greenville news. Uh, he passed in November. Um, he used to, he was fond of telling the story about the man who moved from North Carolina to South Carolina and raised the average IQ in both States. <laughs> I thought of that Sunday, I was uh, texting with some member of my church and, you know, my father died. That's sad. And, and where he's at with the Lord, I do not know. I do not know. And that's above my pay grade. I entrust that to uh, my Savior. But I just laughed out loud thinking about my father and, and being grateful for the blessing I had in him. Um, and it's a little odd to be here without him because he was a regular uh, here at the, at the Greenville Seminary Chapel. Um, 
I'm, I'm telling you all this because I want you to be encouraged. I want you to take encouragement from God's word in Jonah chapter three. Um, eighth century BC. That would be uh, the first Olympiad would have been in 776, right? Rome was founded when? 753, I think. I can't, I'm trying to read that. I was a classics major. I'm supposed to know that. Uh, uh, Jonah, you can go read about in 2 Kings, uh, I think around 14, Jonah gets, a, a, gets name checked in a, the uh, history of Jeroboam II, where God was at work amongst his people in the northern kingdom. I mean, uh, he did not abandon his people, despite uh, just corruption and apostasy. The Lord was faithful to his people. And he's faithful to and through Jonah. Just prior to chapter three, Jonah has been coughed up like a hairball on to the beach after he's received clear word from the Lord to go preach. And he hightailed it the other way. Uh, Jonah was incredibly privileged. He was uh, an Israelite. He was a part of the covenant community. The benefits of God's revealed will in scripture and his ordinances in worship. Jonah was a part of that family. On top of that, he was privileged. He was called to be a minister of the word. He received direct revelation from the creator of the universe and was called to share that with others. How privileged. And just to make clear, this guy is so privileged that when he put all of that behind him and said, no, I'm going to go the other way and I'm not going to fulfill the priestly duty of the people of God to show forth to the nations his glory. I'm not going to do that. I am not going to tell people what I know is true that I've received from the Lord. God mercifully spared his life, spared his life and set him up for a do-over. Now, I don't know you if any of you have had this privilege of being uh, uh, you know, really not doing well or not doing the right thing, and God would intervene and spare you the consequences of your own sin and actually entrust to you afresh this great opportunity to serve him. Um, <clears throat> now, this is a, I'm a, a question I want you to answer. You saw in chapter three, Jonah's preaching ministry is effective. This great city, the people believed God and repent, right? Was it because of Jonah's sterling character that his ministry was effective? 
Was it because of his unwavering commitment that his ministry was effective? Was it because of his eloquence? Uh, If your hope is in your piety, in your perseverance, in your persuasiveness, you may find yourself coughed up on a beach like a hairball. The Lord may have to work in your life in such a way to get your attention, because when you put your trust in the flesh, you are effectively renouncing the privileges that you have received as someone as a, a part of the covenant community. And you're actually not doing what is expressly laid out in God's word, that it's he who works through his word by his spirit. Uh, okay. You guys know the shorter catechism. You're supposed to, aren't you? All right. Uh, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, catechism 91. Uh, uh, how do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? The sacraments become effect. Come on. The sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not from any virtue in them or in him that doth administer them. <clears throat> the same is true of the preached word. Um, many a person has received life in Christ through many a messed up minister. I'm not encouraging you to be slack, okay? I'm just letting you know God's purposes don't ride on your perfection or your relative level of sanctification. Jonah here, (laughs) it becomes clear He's nursing a really bad attitude all the way through the book. We've caught him mid-stride. God's been so gracious, so kind, uh, uh, persistent in him and through him, and he still is a wreck. He's still a train wreck. You would like to think that somebody on the receiving end of so much grace would be a little more grateful, a little more humble. Well, what I want to show you in this passage, okay, is that We must speak, believe, and practice the truth through faith in Jesus Christ. We must speak, believe, and practice the truth through faith in Jesus Christ. Now look, Jonah cannot but speak the truth. He tried not to. He's not going to try that again. After all he went through and God says, now go, he's like, okay, I'm going to go. He knows better. He's constrained, as it were. He's got to go speak the truth in spite of his poor attitude and in spite of his best effort. He had to. Jonah believes. It's because he believes God is sovereign and merciful. He doesn't want the arch enemies of the Lord's people to receive any mercy. He's not about that, but that's because he believes who God is and what he can do. Even in his disobedience and rebellion, he's believing. And so do the people who listen to him. They believe that God is just and that they're dead to rights and are due to receive the just penalty for their sins. And what do they do? They don't just uh, uh, believe. 
they act, you know, the, the sackcloth and stuff, they're, they're, the fasting, uh, this, these are sort of stereotypical expressions of repentance. Now, that's not necessarily heart repentance that's evidence in such action, but it is the kind of thing that people who have heart repentance would uh, do. Top to bottom, from the least to the greatest, they believe and act accordingly. They have to. They can't but. Um, when have you had to do the right thing? I mean, you had to. Did you ever have to apologize? You didn't want to? Surely some of you are married. <clears throat> my, my favorite example of the person having to do the right thing and didn't want to is Haman. Haman in the book of Esther. Oh my goodness, to go back and read it, take it, it's just it's a good ride. But there's a guy who sets himself up and he has to do the right thing. Uh, his response to that is not apparently uh, humility and repentance. Uh, that's, that's not what he takes away uh, from being uh, forced to do the right thing. But you have an opportunity uh, to speak, believe, and practice the truth through faith in Jesus Christ. See, um, the truth is, if you go read in your New Testament, the representatives of the Lord Jesus, you would not call, um, you would not call them anything maybe better than Jonah. This night, you will all abandon me. Those were the A students in the seminar. The truth is, God's representatives have to trust Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like for, uh, for them to see the resurrected Lord? You see... The, uh, I know some of y'all were celebrating Easter yesterday. I don't do Easter, but that's me. Um, the, uh, imagine the last time I saw that guy, either I had abandoned and run the other way, or I was looking at him while he was getting the devil beat out of him. And uh, I was saying, no, I don't even know the guy. And here he is alive. I'd be a little scared, right? Oh, my goodness. It, it, there he is, and I've got to face him with who I really am and how I really acted under pressure. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just the guys to go out and represent my grace, my generosity, my patience, my sovereign power. Oh, yeah, those guys. And if you go, I love the Apostle Peter. That guy is such a notorious, inconsistent loser. Oh, my goodness. So, he, you know, he thinks uh, he's all that, and then he's denying Jesus, right? Uh, <clears throat> but then uh, in Galatians 2, I always like to talk about Galatians 2. This is a guy who, who crumbles under peer pressure trying to please people. Not that you will ever have opportunity to do that in the ministry, but 
Peter did famously. And he has to get the apostle Paul to call him out in front of God and everybody. And Paul, Paul should have known better. Guy knew his Bible. He was really good with Hebrew Bible. Good. Uh, he knew his Bible. He, he, he had studied his tradition. He persecuted the church. And you get the impression he never got over that. That, that he had blood on his hands. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just the guy. You're the poster boy for the kind of grace that I have. It, 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 Paul was like a, a religious terrorist, an extremist. And, you know, I, I, this is another side. Uh, people who are uh, reformed are the worst. Now, listen, I don't mean theologically reformed. I mean the people that used to smoke and then they stop. They used to have salt. Now they don't. They used to eat sugar. Now they don't. And they're going to tell you, oh, they're just insufferable, right? Those people that get, and you're kind of like, gosh, you're such a nut job. You're so extreme about it. And yeah, you could be this way about theology. <clears throat> Paul had been all like nutso against the church. And now he's out there being all rah, rah for the church. How much credibility do you think he had? Jesus like, oh, no, 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 no. You're my guy. I want you to go out and show people how merciful and kind and sovereign and amazing I am. Okay. So look, uh, the truth is we're all kind of inconsistent, perhaps reluctant representatives of the Lord Jesus, all somewhat uh, available to fall flat on our face, to not live up to the privileges that we've enjoyed. Again, I'm not encouraging you to uh, indulge sloth. Because again, uh, God does have a way of working in the lives of his servants that's pretty dramatic. I would prefer to learn from Jonah's mistake rather than repeat it, okay? Believing. We, we, ha we, look, we have to speak the truth. But you don't get to tell people what's true about a gracious, loving Savior who obeyed in our place and died in our place and rose to give us life. You don't get to speak that truth if you don't believe it. But you got to believe it. You have to. One look at yourself. One look at your conduct. You, I got to believe that. Believing doesn't mean that all of your actions or an attitude are right. Okay? And, and I'm not encouraging you to nurse bad attitude or bad habits. I'm just letting you know, get over yourself. You might have a tendency to be self-righteous in your relative sanctification and, and orthodoxy and be missing the point. Oh, no, God is showing off in his gracious patience to you, even while you're a big bonehead and maybe really insensitive. Could be. And I would encourage you to take every opportunity to be humble. Oh, wow. Jesus has forgiven me. He's bearing patiently with me, even me. He's using me, even me. So we can't but believe the truth. Can't but speak the truth. But you can only speak the truth if you believe it. But if you believe this truth and you speak this truth, you're going to have to live it out. 
But living it out doesn't mean you do everything right. Actually, if you look at Peter's life and you look at Paul's life, you look at Jonah's life, you look pretty much at the lives of, of God's people through the centuries, the way you get to live this out is through suffering. That God puts his representatives in circumstances in which they can't but trust him. They have to. Now, um, this is a little bit of a commercial, but not much of one. Uh, I'm involved in a, a quasi-ecclesiastical uh, organization. Well, I'm in the PCA, which is itself kind of quasi-ecclesiastical, but that's another thing. In the PCA, I'm a part of a group called Bent Tree. And what Bent Tree, my shorthand for Bent Tree is uh, helping pastors not go postal. Uh, helping guys that are at risk of giving up or burning out. And I'm happy to think you don't need that right now, but I'm just giving you a little advertising up at uh, like some point down the line. You may find yourself at the end of your character, the end of your commitment, the end of your eloquence. You may find yourself <clears throat> in circumstances where you feel as if you were metaphorically coughed up on a beach. You may find yourself preaching God's word with a bad attitude. You may find yourself not quite appreciating all the generous grace that he showered upon you, Daddy. You may find yourself in that spot, okay? And, and I'm with this group that we, what we do is we know that because we've been in it long enough. We're like, yeah, 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 somebody's got to get out ahead of this. Um, we know that God puts his servants in circumstances where they have to believe the truth. And it's often through suffering. Um, sometimes when you suffer, you think it's because I'm doing the right thing. I'm taking my bold, godly stand to serve the Lord. And eh, maybe not. Or, you may think I'm suffering because I did the wrong thing. I'm getting what's coming to me. Maybe not. Maybe God is more committed to you than you are to him. Maybe his intent is to conform you to the image of Christ so that you can know what you're talking about, right? So that you can uh, live out what it looks like to be in dependence, to have no hope in this life, but the hope in him forever. Look, we must speak. We must believe. We must practice the truth through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I, so just so you know, this is my practice, right? I, I, the way I work is I, I work up sermons and I, I make them like casseroles. Like there are some gals that make a freezer full of casseroles. I do my research and then I go away and I write sermon after sermon. All right. So I have the, the, the notes that I write out and I put the scripture on the back to keep up. Um, and I have at the bottom, I have all these uh, applications that I will put together. So for, for somebody, for the children and for the believers and for the people that are doubting, I learned this from the Puritans, I think. Um, I'm just going to give y'all a couple, all right? Y'all are, aren't my usual congregation. I usually meet in a nightclub. We meet at the um, 
the orange peel. And it sounds really exotic. <sighs> we might have like 40 or 50 there on the Lord's Day. They're pretty conventional type folks. Um, we've been there 20 plus years. I have not seen the outpouring of the spirit in the infold, you know, the, the, the seeing thousands come to faith that I had hoped when I came 20 years prior. That's okay. I'm counting on him to work. All right. Two things for you. Um, there is so much that you can learn that is so worthwhile. I would encourage you, please, in your studies, be diligent. You will get out in ministry and not have time to study like you want to. It's really sad. All right. Not, but, and I, I mean, I'm for studying. I'm just letting you know this is a sweet spot you're in. You need to study all you can. I know it seems like don't, like, don't neglect your wives. Don't neglect your children. Don't neglect your health. All right. But now's a great time to study. You'll get to study more. You will, honest. But now you're going to look back and go. So let me encourage you. Um, but secondly, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Folks, um, you got to up your love game if you're going to study the way you need to. You're going you're gonna to have to, you know, those, those uh, bodybuilders, they're like all upper body and they got the little skinny chicken legs kind of thing because they like to work this part, but not so much this part. Okay. Uh, knowledge puffs up. You got to work on the foundational strength of love where you can be humble, honest, patient, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, you know, and I just want to encourage you as, as important as it is for you to take advantage of the great opportunity you have to study right now. Um, <clears throat> there is nothing more important than for you to speak the truth into the lives of the people around you, to hear it when it's spoken to you, to believe it, to trust Jesus now that he's gracious to you in spite of you, and to do what you can to live it out, not by trying to be perfect, but maybe by um, <clears throat> embracing the difficulty of suffering in service of others. Right now, now's a great time to do that because if things go well and you study hard and you get called and you go out in there, you get to be paid maybe to be conformed to the image of Christ in holding forth the word of life. And, and, and you'll want to be able to look back like, oh, yeah, I trained for this. Definitely. Look, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have been at work across the centuries to glorify yourself in your church. God, thank you that you in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, uh, in your mercy and kindness and sense of humor, use people like Jonah, like Peter, like Paul, like us. God, would you please get great, great glory in working in our lives, in humbling us, in making us like you, Jesus, by the power of your spirit? Lord, would you please help us to be instruments of your mercy and love in, in the lives of the people around us? God, would you please gather in your elect loss? Give us the privilege 
to show them what it looks like to be someone that has received infinite mercy. God, please uh, glorify yourself in ways that are beyond what we could ask or imagine. But we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.